Psalm 12 is where we are as we work through the wonderful and the long book of Psalms. And uh, there's always so much here. And I know I've preached this before, and yet, as I mentioned last week, I come to it and I think, man, I've never read this before. This is so great. It's like, it's like coming to a fresh well of water, and there's so much here that I want to bring out to you, but I can't bring it all out. In fact, to my notes, I, I want to even keep it shorter than what I have planned because I want to mention quite a few practical points at the end that I hope will be, will be help. But boys and girls, I hope that all of you here in this room, whether you're in elementary school or junior high or maybe even not even in school yet, you need to hear this. You are living in a world where people lie a lot, where people lie a lot. And words are not used in a good way a lot. Uh, And Where do you go? Where do you go for hope, for help? Where do you go for comfort? And what we're going to read tonight is we have to go to the Bible, the Word of God. We, We have no other place for a strong refuge uh, but but the Word, and to go to Christ as He's revealed in the Word. So I hope that tonight will be an encouragement to all of us and even to the boys and girls as they hear as well. Psalm 12, I want to read the text beginning with the title, the last half of the title there. It is a psalm of David. Verse 1. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, and because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord, and I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. And then the conclusion for the choir director. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you love truth. You love the truth and As you love the truth, that means that you hate lies. You hate lies. Recently in the Harvard Business Review, one journalist said this, The news media and the government are entwined in a vicious circle of mutual manipulation, myth-making, and self-interest. And then the author said this, we have become so ensnared in a symbiotic web of lies that the news media are unable to tell the public what is true. And it's also true that the public is often unable to discern what is true. 
What a sad time in which we live. What a crazy culture in which we live. Where telling the truth is mocked. And where lying and deception and flattery and talking with a double heart is celebrated. It's common. Listen to what God says in Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Or we read in Proverbs 6, verse 17, the six things that God hates, yes, seven that are an abomination to him. One of them is he hates a lying tongue. John 8, 44, one of the reasons that God hates lies so much, of course, is he is the God of truth, but Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And then Isaiah affirms in chapter 65 that our God is the God of truth. Why is it that moms and dads discipline our children in love when they lie? Why do we do that? Is it because mom and dad are upset? Is it because mom and dad don't like it? No, it's because our God is the perfect and the glorious God of truth. And all lies and all speaking evil is against the character of our God. My discipler was a man named Will Varner in college, and he said this, we live in an age of mass communication. But he said, Christian, are you able to discern what is true and what is false? Are you able to discern? Are you able to think clearly and sort of think through what you hear and then communicate as well in a way that is truthful? And what I want to mention tonight, just by way of introduction, is everything we're going to talk about begins with God. Everything here tonight begins with God because our God is the God of truth. Our God is true. And you have it there in your outline, and I want to give this to you. I remember having this outline in seminary, and it has always stuck with me. What do you mean when we say our God is true? Number one, we mean that he is truthful. Everything that God says is always true because it comes from the one who is the very standard of truth. And not only is God truthful, he is faithful. What does that mean? He's true to his word. True to his word. What a great God we worship. And not only is he truthful and faithful related to that, he's reliable. You can depend upon him. You can take every promise to the bank and you can depend upon our God. And not only is he truthful and faithful and reliable, he is infallible, which means he can't fail. His word can't fail. He's not able to fail. Oh, how, how different he is from me and you. How, how different he is from our world. How true our God is. But you and I live in a land of lies. We live in a land of lies. And you know what? David's was the similar way. Now, we know from Psalm 12 that David wrote the psalm. You see it from the title. It is a psalm of David. And the word psalm in the Hebrew is a plucking. It, it was meant to be sung 
to an instrument. And it was written at the end for the choir director so that he could lead the whole congregation in singing these words. If there's one theme to the whole psalm, it is the spoken word. The spoken word. Now, you and I live in a land of lies, kind of like David did when he wrote this. The question is, how in the world are we to live? How do we stand on scripture in a land of liars? How do we do that? And very quickly and very simply, I want to draw you to two simple headings tonight. Number one, we need to notice the sinful words, and then we need to notice the sacred words. Let's begin in verses 1 to 5 with the sinful words. Notice how David, in a cry of urgent prayer, verse 1, help, Lord. Maybe you can relate. I I feel like I'm swimming in a culture of deceit. Help me, Lord. Help me. And then David continues, for the godly man ceases to be. The faithful disappear among the sons of men. It's like David is saying, God, I need you to save me. I need you to help me. Why? Because I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like the godly are nowhere to be found. And David isn't alone in this. There are other places in the Bible where people of God have had similar thoughts. Maybe you can relate. People that you once trusted have vanished. Maybe people that you counted on have let you down. Maybe they turned their backs on you. Maybe someone who was at one point your confidant has stabbed you in the back with their words. Other companions that you had maybe forsake you and Then they believe the lies that are being purported about you. Or maybe you've been betrayed by someone. And you just feel alone. You sometimes feel like crying out, God, is is there anyone else out there who loves the truth? I mean, it's no new thing for the godly to think that they're standing alone. Noah felt like he was standing alone. He was. Elijah, remember 1 Kings 19, Lord, I alone am left. Well, God had 7,000 who didn't bow the knee to Baal, but he felt like he was alone. Even here, David feels like he's all alone. The godly man has vanished. Even Abraham said in the prayers for Sodom and Gomorrah, Lord, if there's 30 and 25 and 20 and 15 and 10 righteous, but there weren't. In Sodom and Gomorrah. Sometimes we forget that our strength is never in our numbers, but our strength is always in the almightiness of our God. Never forget that. Your strength is never in the numbers, but always in the power of our God. David is praying, and he's like, Lord, I feel like I'm all alone. All alone. And I am surrounded by those in verses 2 through 5 who are filled with sinful words. Let's describe them together. 
or look at it the way David does. Number one, you see it in your outline there, he describes what they say as falsehood. They speak falsehood. Now, you and I might think, well, falsehood, deceit, lies, manipulation, threat, that kind of thing. True, that's certainly a part of it. But the Hebrew word is actually more general. It's a word that means worthless. Their mouth is filled with aimlessness. It's like the, the people around me are talking in ways that are unsubstantial. It's unreal. It's worthless. It, it's just thoughtless. There's nothing weighty, godly, divine, substantive in what they're saying. It's just they're living a deceit, a futility. And not only is there futility and falsehood, but then verse 2, they're speaking with flattering lips. The Hebrew is so illustrative. Flattering lips is smooth lips. Smooth lips. It's like a, a persuasive command that is not interested in the truth. It's a person who manipulates in order to get what he wants. A flattering mouth. Proverbs says, always works ruin. Never forget that in Proverbs 26, 28. So David is surrounded by those who are speaking falsehood with flattery, third, with a double heart. Interesting, with a double heart. What does that mean? They know one thing, but they're talking another. Do you know anybody like that? (laughs) They won't talk the truth, even though they know the truth, when a lie would accomplish their own goal. They know what's true, but they are more than happy to lie in order to advance their own agenda. It's almost like they are hiding the truth in another heart. Oh, they're talking out of one heart, but the truthful heart is quiet off to the side. That's what David means. I am surrounded by those who who are false and they're flattering and they're double-hearted. And then verse 3, he prays, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastful great things. Do you know what they say? This sounds like what we hear all the time. Verse 4. People say, Ha! With our own tongue we will prevail. My lips are my own. Who is Lord over me? What are you going to tell me what to say? Who who is my master? Who is God over me? This is number four in your outline. The sinful words include boasting. They think that they are master over their own lips, and they think that God is their slave. They think that Scripture is at their disposal. They think that they are in authority over the Bible. Verse 8, verse 8, we've kind of seen this lived out recently. The wicked strut around on every side, haven't we? We've seen that. When vileness is exalted among the sons of men. I mean, this is, the Hebrew talks about someone who is walking with their head held high and they're arrogant. And they just have a constant, arrogant, prideful stride. We see it all around. Sinful words. And David is saying, Lord, I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I'm all alone. 
Look at verse 5. Notice what God says. Because of the devastation of the afflicted and because of the groaning of the needy, do you hear the tenderness of God? He hears the cry of the needy. God is not far off and uninvolved. He's not cold. He's not closed-hearted. He hears. And verse 5, Now I will arise, says the Lord, and I will set him in the safety for which he longs. That's a promise. And that's a promise that in Jesus Christ, you and I now enjoy. But the fullness of the promise, you and I are awaiting the consummation of it. We have safety positionally in Christ. But one day, we will have that safety in the face-to-face immediate presence with God forever. That we're longing for. We're not there yet. But one day... It is sure to come. What, what promise and what hope and what surety, what comfort this gives in a world filled with lies and deceit and flattery and double talk and talking with a heart here and a heart there and boasting and arrogance. God, God says, I, I hear and I will set you in safety. But there's something that happens, not only in this world in which we live, a land of lies, do we need to notice the sinful words, but we have to get to number two in your outline. We have to notice the sacred words in verse six. And and I want you to see it because, get this, the words of the wicked have not passed away when David writes it. The liars haven't gone away. The flatterers are still there. But here's what David is going to do. The whole perspective is going to change. Verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Now, I think generally it refers to all the words of God, the scriptures. But in particular, David has a promise of God in verse 5. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. That promise. I know that God's word and his promise is true. What's he doing? He's living in a land of liars, but now David is choosing to trust in the promise of God. You and I need to do that as well. You can read whatever headline, whatever news source you want. And inevitably you're going to think, is this the truth? The whole truth? Nothing but the truth? Where is the truth? And with all of that going on around us, we can look to the word of God. We can read the word of God and we can choose to anchor our hope and our trust in the Lord. Now, we come to the topic of bibliology, the doctrine of the Bible. Oh, and there's so much to know and study and embrace. You have it in your outline there. And I, I just, I'm going to mention it, even though it'd be so great to dive into all of it. But we could talk about the inspiration of the Bible. I mean, the, the breathing out, the breathing out 
of God's very own word so that everything in scripture is the true, infallible, God-breathed word of God. But we could also talk about the infallibility of the word. The infallibility of the word means that it can't fail. It means that God's word is certain. It can't fail. It won't fail. It's not able to fail. We could talk third about the authority of the Bible. The authority. The Bible is the authority over man. We're not an authority over the Bible. The Bible is the authority over every man. Fourth, we could talk about the inerrancy of the Bible. The Bible is fully without error in the original manuscripts and everything the Bible says, affirms historically, scientifically, geographically, theologically, absolutely without error. Number five, the sufficiency of the Bible. The Bible and all that it contains is sufficient for the believer, for life and godliness. Any issue, any issue that comes your way in life, the Bible is what you need. Number six, we could talk about the necessity of the Bible. We need the truth of the Bible to know God, to know man, to know heaven, to know Christ, to know the gospel. The Spirit of God works by and with his word. And then, I love this one, the clarity or the perspicuity. That's a fun word. The perspicuity of the Bible. You can understand it. Contrary to Roman Catholic dogma, which says you can't understand your Bible unless you have a priest. No, the Bible is clear. You can read it and know it and understand it because you have the Spirit of God living in you. First John 2 makes that clear. We could, we could talk about all of that, and that would be so great to do. But David in verse 6 and 7 brings us to the beauty of the sacred word, the beauty of some footholds that we need to stand on in a world of sinking sand. Number one, notice the word is divinely supernatural in your outline. And that's verse six. The words of the Lord are pure words. They are sourced in God. This book right here, when you read it, it has the same power as Genesis one. God said, let there be. And it happened. The same power in the word. Not only divinely supernatural, number two in your outline, it's perfectly pure, verse six. The words of the Lord are pure words. Now you gotta get, this is so cool. The word for pure right here is a word from the Old Testament that is used in a context for priests. Why? It is that which is most acceptable to God. It's like, a, it's like a divine cleansing of purity. What does that mean? God's words are a God-worked purity. It is a God-accepted purity. Only God could make the Bible, his word, this pure. Perfectly pure. Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is clean. Same word. Now, contrast that to the to the, to the lying words of this world, we have the, the pure word of God. And guess what? The word of God exposes our sin. And the pure word of God shows us our guilt. And the, and the pure word of God, it, 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 it convicts our conscience. 
And the pure word of God, it shuts us up into sin. And yet God's word is so pure that it gives the only way to salvation. The only way, the only road, the only path, the only door found in Jesus. It is only through this word that we are saved. Believing on Christ as he is revealed in the word. And not only that, now, number three in your outline, the word is tried and reliable. Verse six, it is like silver tried in a furnace on the earth. What does that mean? It's a Hebrew word that means authentic. The Bible is totally reliable and completely dependable. That is so cool. The Bible is the very authentic reliable, dependable word of God. Like silver, tried, tried, tried in a furnace. Tried and reliable and related to that would be number four. It's refined and perfect. Refined and perfect. It is in the passive. God does the refining. But it refers at the end of verse six here, refined seven times. It's God testing something to such a degree to determine the purity of something. To the, to the highest degree, God is showing the preciousness of the word. It is of great value, exceeding value, perfect purity. It shows us Christ. It shows us that he is our prophet and our priest and our king. And he has come to save. He has come to secure. He has come to glorify his people. And then verse 7. I want to give you a little note here that I think is helpful. Sometimes people say, well, how did we get our Bible? You know, who chose what books were in our Bible? Wrong question to ask. God did. No man did, God did. No committee did, God did. Verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. The them goes back to the words of God. And you will preserve them, the words of God. God preserves his words from this wicked generation. God is the one who preserves his word. Isn't it amazing? All the skeptics, they've come and they've gone. But the word of God is preserved. The word of God is preserved. You know, in a world of lies, Christian, don't don't wallow in discouragement. Don't fear the threats of the wicked. Don't, Don't fear the manipulations of the wicked. Don't take it to heart when they slander the godly. Don't fear their physical oppositions. God's word is your lamp. It'll guide you, help you, comfort you. You know that. You know that God's word is there to help you. Now, in your outline, you have 10 simple ways in which you and I ought to respond. So, if the Bible, or since the Bible, really is the word of God, and if it really is this true, very quickly, Let me give you 10 ways that you ought to respond. Number one, read the word. And maybe that's kind of like the no duh. Of course we should do that. But we eat every day. We eat numerous times a day. 
We need the Word of God daily. We're coming up to 2023. Are you ready and thinking and preparing for a Bible plan? Reading through God's Word. A whole Bible makes a whole Christian. Right? We don't, don't pick and choose verses. We, we read God's Word. And then related to that, number two, we want to study God's Word. Ezra set his heart to study the law of God. I love that. It's digging deep and opening the treasure and we're digging and we're studying and we're learning and, and we're feasting upon what God has done. Third, can I encourage you to memorize God's word? We, we memorize lines from movies. We can memorize lyrics from a song. We can memorize street addresses and phone numbers. Maybe. We have phones to do that now. But to memorize God's word and hide it in our hearts. Maybe for 2023, pick a chapter of the Bible. Say, I'm going to memorize it this year. Or, or pick a small book of the Bible and say, in 12 months, I'm going to work through whatever. You pick it. Titus, Philippians, Ephesians. Something that you're familiar with to help you. Or maybe start small. Maybe I'm going to do, do a verse here. I'm going to do a paragraph here. I'm going I'm I'm to memorize God's word and hide it in my heart and go back to it and reflect on it again and again and again. That's what keeps us from sin. Number four, we want to disciple with the word. When we are coming to the close of this year and starting a new year, who are those in the church family that I can meet with? Bible open and disciple, disciple with the word of God open. Number five, to counsel with the word, to counsel. And that just means give wise direction. It doesn't have to be a formal counseling relationship. It could be, but it could be somebody who comes to you and they say, man, I've got a struggle in my life going on. And then you're thinking, how can I think biblically so that I can give good advice from the word of God rather than I think, how can I say, well, here's what God says. How can I help you? How can I come alongside of you? Number six, we ought to evangelize with the word because the word of God is true. Guess what? God's word is more powerful than the lies of men. Always. And we hear all the time, you know, my lips are my own. Who is Lord over me or something of that sort? We keep proclaiming the word because the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Number seven, we need to parent with the word. Good word for us as dads and moms. Do our kids see us with our Bible open as we reprove them, as we correct them, as we teach them, as we train them? Not only in family worship, but in the informal times, in the discipline room. Do the children know that we parent them with the authority of God's word? 
Number eight, we need to edify with the word, to, to speak into the lives of others in the congregation, to encourage them, to edify them, to, to build them up in the word. You can do that via text, via email, with a phone call, mouth to mouth as you're talking and enjoying conversation with one another in person, edifying one another with the truth. Number nine. We need to trust in the word. Because God's word is true, church family, believe it. Believe it. We have no reason to doubt it. God has been faithful and he has shown himself faithful. We need to believe and trust in the word. And then all of that, number 10, would lead to a rejoicing in the word. Jeremiah 15, your words were found. I ate them and they became a joy and a delight to my heart. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Rejoice in the word. We live in a land of lies. We live in a culture where truth is hated, lies are celebrated, hypocrisy is enjoyed, but we trust in our God. We lean upon him. And you know what? One day, Christian, we are headed for a world of perfect truth. It's not like this world. A world of truth where no lies can be found. No flattery, no deceit, no manipulation, no threat. That doesn't exist anymore there. And we are journeying there. Let's keep our eyes focused on that great truth. As one writer said it, and he said it so well, Christian, you can trust your Bible completely. In everything that it says, you can trust your Bible completely. Boys and girls, hear that and never forget it. Trust your Bible completely in all that it says. Let it be your lamp and your guide and your compass. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Forgive us, O Lord, for the times when we have not read, studied, enjoyed, trusted in, discipled, on and on we could go. Lord, forgive us. And yet we thank you that you have given such a treasure in your word. What a gift. We have it. We have it in print. We've got it on our phones in every version we could imagine. Lord, would you help us to know your word, to stand upon your word, that we would love you more because of the time that we spend communing with you in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.